All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go Hebrews chapter 2. Would this be really uncomfortable the entire time? No, it'd be good. It'd be, just stay. All right, I appreciate it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 2. If uh, you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just raise your hand. We would love to run one to you. It'd be our gift to you. Uh, we're in the middle, really, of, of a set of discussions as we open into this uh, letter of, of Hebrews that uh, where the writer is really coming in and he's challenging us uh, to not neglect the great salvation that we have in Jesus. And, uh, and, and really, he kind of does this by setting some framework by saying, hey, if, if you're not careful, it is easy to drift away from the gospel. It's easy to drift away specifically from the proclamation of the gospel expressed in the word that that you can end up somewhere that you did not anticipate ending up. And uh, and this thought has hopefully these last couple of weeks has taken us to its intended place in considering uh, who Jesus is and considering the role that he fulfills in our hearts that uh, that God has not sent um Jesus as an angel in order to save angels. Instead, he sent Jesus as a human in order to save us. And, and what we saw last week was that since everything, this has been our process, since everything is in subjection to Christ, he's been crowned with glory and he's been crowned with honor. And, and though it was always his, um, that, that this has now been confirmed in his willfulness, uh, his willingness, I should say, of going to the cross as our sacrifice. And, and so all of the movement of, of Jesus uh, has been in step with the Father who, as we saw last week, is bringing his sons to glory. And that sounds like a strange phrase to us, but, but it very much is a biblical one. Uh, and that Jesus comes in and he serves us as our forerunner or, or our captain of our salvation. And now how Jesus does that, it really is just the case study of the entire letter of Hebrews. And, and today what we're going to do is just simply take another step into this explanation and we're going to see how Jesus defeats really our greatest enemy. Now we might think we have villains in this world. We might think that we have uh, people that irritate us or can do harm to us. Uh, but what the author of Hebrews is going to do this morning, he's going to come in and he's going to say, listen, you need to understand, Jesus has defeated your greatest enemy. And because of that, we get to live in freedom. We get to live in joy. We get to live in a world and in a life that is unreal. And, and so what I hope uh, is that, that what we're going to find is that uh, through this journey together is, is that we will have a fitting vision of who Jesus is and how much greater he is than, than every single pursuit we can find ourselves on in life apart from him. And, and so these verses are going to help us think deeply about God. And I hope, I hope that you're willing to do that this morning, uh, that you and I are willing to think deeply uh, about things that matter greatly. So let's pray and then let's get going. Father, we come to you. And we are so very thankful today that you love us so very much. And I pray as... We open your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and would clarify for us and would reveal to us how great our salvation is in Jesus. 
we ask these things because in and of ourselves we are not capable of producing those things. And so we lay them at your feet and we wait for you to move in eager anticipation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I read, I read a quote. Uh, actually, I read a quote from a guy who was reading a quote from a guy uh, about Billy Graham. And, and way back in uh, the, the 80s, he was on a crusade and, uh, and he began the lesson talking about uh, but God. And that's, he just used these two words. And, and, but then he, he uses this phrase, this moment of clarity. He says, he, he says that in 50 or 70 years, you will all be dead. Fair enough, right? Let's just settle in on that this morning. 50, 70 years, you'll be dead, right? And, but then he, he made clear what he meant was that, uh, that we would all end up in a final destination. He said, when you were born, you were uh, born to live forever. That's, that's the design. You were born to live forever, forever and, and Graham comes in, he says, and you will. Now, where you live will matter a great deal. Uh, you will either live forever in heaven or you will live forever in hell. And then, uh, as he was always faithful in doing, he went on to tell us how you reach heaven and how you avoid hell being simply through faith in Jesus Christ. The guy was brilliant, um, just preaching the gospel. Uh, it's all he does. And, and, so, and I think if, if there were no God... Okay, uh, then death would be sad, but it wouldn't be terrifying. You with? Uh, it, it would be sad, but it wouldn't be terrifying because really life would be just about um, the basis of all of our pleasures. Uh, in fact, I, I always said if it wasn't for Jesus, no one would like me um, because I would be the most self-centered person I could be. I would only look out for myself. I would only want to take care of things that brought me joy. And I would step on people's faces to get to it all right and so and so if 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 that was be if if there was no god then the basis of our life would be just the searching of our own pleasures uh rather that be family friends work leisure food sex music entertainment if we lose life then we lose everything we lose all of those things that make us happy if there were no god uh but if there is God, if we were created in the image of God, as the Bible teaches, and if He is just, and if He is holy, and if He is worthy of all of our love, all of our devotion, all of our worship, all of our obedience, and, and then He is justly angry at our indifference to Him at times, and if He is justly angry at our distrust and our preference to worship lesser gods, and if, and if we are to actually give an account for our lives, uh, then, then death is incredibly terrifying if the things are not right with God. If, you're right, if your life is not right with God, that's a terrifying prospect. And, and, and written on every heart, the Bible says, is the law of God testifying to our conscience that we will all give an account to God. And now, the hard part that we have to reconcile is, is believing that God is holy and that He is just and that He is the one who has all the rights to sentence us. 
And so, so death all of a sudden becomes very real and very terrifying for a lot of us. Uh, that, that, that doesn't mean that um, most unbelieving people lead these consciously terrified lives trying to live in bubble wrap saying, I'm going to die one day, you know. Uh, that's, that's not the way it works. But, but what, what it means is that they are enslaved by the fear of death. We're going to see that in these words this morning. They're enslaved by the fear of death and they try to find ways to not feel the fear that they do have. They know something's inevitable and so they try to avoid it at all costs. And that is, that's the fear of dying is so natural uh, for sinful people who are uh, not ready to meet God that, that it rules them almost like a silent master who takes many forms. And, uh, and the main form is just denial, right? Uh, that, that most people simply do not let themselves think about what is absolutely inevitable, namely that one day they will stop breathing. And they're driven consciously or unconsciously uh, to shut their eyes, close their ears, blink their minds to every thought that they are going to die and give an account to God. And if, and if we see this for what it is, the result is that we become slaves to the fear of death. And, and so, but, but our slavery is, is towards a delusion of denial or, or an escape or a numbness or a distraction unless something happens to deal with the reality of death and God and the devil and sin and as they really are and not to evade them. You ever have that moment in life where you're like, well, I can't avoid this situation any longer. I'm going to have to deal with it. I can't avoid this conversation any longer. I'm going to have to have it. And that's eventually, this is what the Bible tells us, one day we all give an account. We all give an account. And so, uh, and I think this is why we're, we're so much more introspective uh, when we're faced with an illness uh, or, or when someone around us is suffering from a disease. Uh, we start to reflect more on the movements of our lives and why those steps matter and, and the regrets of, I really wish I would have spent more time doing this or that. And, and in large part, this is, this is what our text is about this morning. Uh, and, and really what I, I want to do with it is it's very limited. I think one of the great limitations of getting the privilege of what I get to do in preaching uh, the Word is that uh, you, you come across books like Hebrews and every single verse is worthy of about 18 different sermons. Uh, and so uh, we could spend the rest of our lives only crawling through like three chapters of Hebrews. Uh, and but But that wouldn't be fair to the entirety of the Word because every verse matters a great deal. And so uh, what we're going to try to do this morning is be very limited. I want to narrow our focus and I want to pray uh, as a people that, that we are very sensitive to God's leading and our hearts are prepared to hear the Holy Spirit because what I want to do primarily this morning is, is just two things. I want us to see how Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death, which is our greatest fear. I don't know if you would admit that, you know, some of you are like clowns, deathly afraid of them, right? Spiders, not a fan of them. But when we're honest, the fear of death is our greatest enemy. Okay? And then, and then well, and you'll see the context of that here in just a moment. Uh, and then secondly, I want us to see how, how Jesus relates to us in very real ways as he fulfills uh, the role of a perfect high priest. And so, so verse 14, as we get started, is going to 
begin with, with two words, since therefore. Okay? And so, so let's try to build momentum to better understand this. Verse 10 is where we were at last week, and it says that it was fitting, it was fitting that God, in bringing us to glory, should send Jesus to lead the way through his suffering. Because he who sanctifies, being Jesus, and those who are sanctified, being us, all have one source, being the Father. And so, so like we said last week, in the gospel, we become children of God and we become siblings of Jesus, that Jesus was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And again, even saying that just blows me away. The fact that Jesus says, I will go before the Father on your behalf, and I will say, this is my brother or this is my sister. It's, it's a worshipful existence. And so we get to verse 14, Emma. And it says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise uh, partook of the same thing. So Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to, to what? Lifelong slavery. Okay, so this is this is the the hard part of sin is that it it, uh, it gives the presents freedom, but it only offers bondage. Okay, it really only offers. And so he says says that that Jesus comes in and he takes this place that he might destroy the one who has the death uh, the power of death that is the devil and deliver us from who had the fear of death who were trapped in slavery because of it. And so, so there's a lot said in these verses, and if you wanted to eat it all in one bite, you wouldn't enjoy it as much, right? Uh, we, are, we are supposed to feast on the Word, and, and every good feast doesn't have a time limit, okay? And so, so we get to walk through, and we get to chew on these words just a little bit this morning. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to give you five steps that are presented here uh, that, that lead us uh, how Jesus leads us in deliverance from the bondage of the fear of death. So we start with step one. Number one, you are human. Even your kids, like your teenagers, they are human. Human. Yeah, I'm talking to you, weirdo. Yeah, just walk on out, man. Hope everything comes out okay. Um, so, so it says that children share in flesh and blood. The children is this reference back to, to verse 13 where it refers to, to people that God calls to himself and gives to his son. So, so he says in verse 14 that these children share in flesh and blood that they are simply human. This is what kind of brings us together. That's why we're not really hanging out with livestock today. We enjoy the company of people. Alright? Um, and so, uh, but... It says we are simply human. We have human nature. We're not angels. We're not gods. So, so step one, we are human. Step two, Jesus became human. Jesus became human. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And so, so the Son of God, we saw back in verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, uh, did not come into being when Jesus was born. That he always existed. He existed before 
creation. Indeed, uh, from eternity as the very image of God, as chapter 1, verse 3 says, and He Himself was God, as chapter 1, verse 8 says. Uh, but, but since the children whom He loved and wanted to save were human, He took on the same nature. And this is, we dealt with this a little bit last week. So, so Jesus was actual God and actual man, and it's a great mystery, uh, but this is what God tells us about His Son. Step three. So not only are we human, and not only did Jesus become human, step three, Christ did this so that He could die. So it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death. That through death. In His divine nature alone, Christ was indestructible. Indestructible. You can go to uh, chapter 7, verse 16 of Hebrews to find uh, explanation to that. He could not die, but a death was necessary to deal with guilt and the punishment of sin. So, so Christ became human precisely so that He could die. This is, this is what love does. This is exactly what love does. It embraces suffering and death for the life of others. It does. Step four. So, so, in, so not only are we human, not only does Jesus come as human, not only does Christ come so that He could die, step four, that in dying, Christ rendered powerless the one who has the power of death, the, the devil. That through death, this is 14, uh, verse 14, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So, so, so in dying, Christ defeated in some profound way the power of the devil and took away his ability to destroy us by death. That, now, now the question is, how did Christ do that, right? Uh, that's largely what we're going to see when we get uh, to verse 17. So just cool it a little bit, okay? We'll get there. Um, but we should just say this, that, that this is what Christ was willing to do, that the apparent defeat of death was a knockout blow. Uh, to Satan. And we'll, we'll see how that plays itself out here in a minute. Step five, last step, right? There's only five, right? Let's just act like there's only five. Um, step five, that the effect of defeating the devil in this way is that we are delivered from slavery to the fear of death. So what Jesus does simply, it removes um, the fear that we have of death. Verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong uh, slavery. And so, so what happens, and Paul does, we'll talk about this in a second, uh, but, but Paul has this moment in Corinthians where it's like he's taunting death. Uh, he thinks about what Christ has done and he taunts death. And so, so what happens is because of Jesus, we can now, in the full stare of death, not flinch. That's possible. It's possible. And so, so the flow of, of verses 14 and 15 just goes like this. You are human, therefore Christ became human, so that he might die for you to nullify the deadly power of the devil so that you might be freed from slavery to fear and that you would be able to live in freedom for the rest of eternity. That's what Christ makes available. That's what the author of, of Hebrews is telling us. It's such a great salvation. Such a great salvation. And so, so now the important question is, is how does that play itself out, right? How does the death of Christ defeat 
the power of the devil in death. Because realize this, you have a very real enemy. You have a very real enemy. And so to see this, we have to compare the flow of 14 and 15 with verse 17. We're just going to skip verse 16. We've been talking about it uh, for a couple weeks now. Um, That Christ doesn't die to rescue the angels. Uh, He dies to help us. So verse 17 comes in and it says this, Therefore, it's a huge statement again. Anytime you get there, understand what's the connection. So therefore, he, being Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a more he might become a merciful and faithful and then the author is going to introduce a role that he hasn't talked about before he says a, a a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people Okay, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that, okay? Because we use a lot of big words, and I promise you, none of this is over your head. None of it. Uh, even yours, Lane. You'll be able to get this. It might take a little longer than most other people, but we'll get there. Okay? So, so, so what sticks out is when you remember verses 14 and 15 with 17, is that both of them talk about how Christ had to become like us. He had to be. Verse 17, He had to be made like His brother's in every respect. Verse 14 says, Therefore the children share in the flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same thing. So, so we know we're dealing here in verse 17 with this basic flow of thought. That in order to accomplish something, Christ had to become one of us. In order to do that. So, but the rest of 17 is, is different. And the difference shows us how Christ removes the fear of death um, defeats the devil, really, by dying for us. Because verse 14 comes in and it says that, that Christ became like us so that he could die, render powerless the one who has the power of death, the devil. Verse 17 says that Christ became like us so that he might become a high priest to make propitiations for our sins. So, so here's, here's the mashup, okay? Uh, that, that, that Christ rendered the devil powerless in death by his high priestly work for us uh, as he makes propitiation for our sins. So, so those are, again, those, aren't, those are big ideas, they're big words, but they're not over our heads. Verse 17 says that Jesus became like us so that he could simply become our high priest. Okay, so, so as we, this is an Old Testament reference. Actually, it's still, he still serves us as our high priest. But in the Old Testament, specifically, you had priests, and then you had a high priest. Okay? And the job of the high priest was to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. Okay? There was a very methodical process to how they present. This is all priests really did. They made sacrifices on behalf of the people. They offered things to God for the forgiveness of sins. And so when Jesus comes along, he serves as the ultimate high priest. And so... so so why did Jesus have to become human like us in order to be a high priest for us? And the simple answer is, it's because the offering he had to give was the offering of himself. He was the only one fitting to give it. He, he needed to be a human high priest so that he could lay down his life, not only as the priest who makes the offering, but as the offering that he makes. 
And so, so notice in, in verse 17, the aim of the death of Christ, that the work of the high priest was to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay, so, so 14, the aim of the death of Christ is to render powerless the devil. And I think seeing the key to how the death of Christ strips the devil of his power helps us understand the enormity of his sacrifice. That, that, that Christ strips the devil of his power and death by making propitiation for our sins. So, so how does that work? Right? Anybody use the word propitiation in the last month? No? Nobody? Well, clearly you need to get a word of the day app and see if it rolls in. And so, so, so that, that, the big word, that propitiation, it simply means that Christ takes away God's anger at us for our sins. That's all it means. That Christ takes away God's anger at us for our sins. That, so when Christ dies, He is perfectly innocent. That, that His death is to bear the punishment for our sins. The guilt and the punishment for our sins. Not His own. Not His own. And so, so when our punishment falls on Him, it is taken away from us. And that's what propitiation means. That, that God's justice is is absorbed, um, no, I'm sorry, that God's justice is satisfied, that, that He loves us in us. Understand that, okay? And we, we talked about this a little bit uh, in our men's breakfast yesterday, if, if you weren't there, all right? You ladies weren't invited. Um, and so, because, yeah, anyways. Um, but we talked about, about this, this concept. I grew up thinking that, that somehow God was just angry and Jesus was like holding Him back saying, no, 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 he's okay, he's okay, he's with me. And when you read the Bible, what you find is that that's not actually the case. God is wrathful towards sin. He, his anger burns against sin. Okay, And he judges sin, but Jesus doesn't come in and be like, hey, no, 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 hold on, hold on, just be nice to them for a little bit longer. Instead, because God hates sin, but somehow he loves us, he sends His Son to rescue and redeem us. And so the sacrifice of Christ propitiates it. It, it satisfies the payment of sin. And so, so this is, this is our, our great gospel, that God loved us enough to put His own Son forward to absorb the punishment we deserve so that He could demonstrate that He is faithful and He is just in dealing with sin, and He's merciful in dealing with sinners. That this is our great salvation. This is the gospel that Christ dying in our place and propitiating God, removing His righteous anger from us, so in Him there is now no condemnation. So that in Christ there is no condemnation. That we can live in intimate union with both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's start, let's start wrapping this up. So, so, so now, how does, how does that render powerless the one who had the power of death, namely the devil? How, how does that work itself out? Because it doesn't mean that Christians don't die physical deaths, right? We know better than that. In fact, some of us will die incredibly painful deaths. 
Okay? There's, there's no promise in the gospel that for the remainder of your days, once you ask Jesus into your heart, that every day is super easy. Okay? There is not one. Uh, nor does it mean uh, that Satan can't kill us. You can go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 for some explanation in there. But what it does mean is that the only weapon the devil can use to destroy us in death is our sin. That's it. That's his only weapon. Because here's the thing. Nobody goes to hell because they are oppressed by the devil. Nobody goes to hell because they are possessed by the devil. Nobody goes to hell because they are harassed by the devil or get shot at by the devil. None of us. In fact, those are all smoke screens to hide one very deadly power in Satan's artillery. uh, Namely, unforgiven sin. That's the only thing he can do. He can try to distract you to not deal with your sin issue. And so, so the only reason anybody goes to hell is because of their, their own sin. Understand that. That's just that's what the Bible says. I know we don't like that because we want to go to Brahms and we want to see 58 different options and we think it's our right to have those things, but that's not the case. The only way any of us end up in heaven or hell is how we respond to the role of Jesus. That's the way it's, that's the way it's described. And so all Satan can do is, is literally fight like hell to keep you sinning. That's all he can do, and he's, he's good at it. He's good at temptations, he's good at, he's good at presenting opportunities, and he, he, what he wants to do is keep you away from the one who forgives sin. Because if your sin, hear me when I say this, if your sin is forgiven, the wrath of God Almighty against sin is turned away from you. It's not wrath. It's nothing but love. Literal love from Him. And so the devil, this is what, we, this is what we've been saying, the devil is disarmed. He is disarmed. The, 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 the one deadly lethal tactic that he has is to accuse you of sin and keep you sinning, keep you away from Christ who forgives the sin, who removes the wrath. And if your sins are forgiven and the wrath is removed and you get to stand righteous before God in Christ Jesus by faith. And God is for you, not against you. And the devil is rendered powerless. Here's what you need to know. He can't destroy you. He can't. And so, so in sum, the connection of, of verses 14 and 17 shows the way that Christ renders powerless the devil is by making himself the propitiation of our sins. Which shows that his, he's only got one play. The enemy only has one play here. And if, if that's covered, if your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, if that is forgiven, and if, if the anger of God against it is gone, and its place, and in its place is grace, and it's working for your good. And then what we get to do as believers in Jesus is we get to look at death and we can say, man, when I'm gone, it's going to be bad for you, but great for me. Like, you guys are going to miss me so very much, but I won't care. We get to join in with 
uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. I love it because he's just quoting another verse in the Old Testament. He says that death is swallowed up in victory. Thinks about what Christ has done. He says death is swallowed up in victory. And then it causes him to rise up like a junior high boy who's going to get in a fist fight, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Where's your victory? What do you got? Because the sting of death has been removed. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, not because we have earned it, not because we have been made capable of doing it, but because Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. So now, now how, do, how do we put those words on today, right? We, we, we don't have time to go one more verse. So I was going to try to make it to verse 18, but it's, it's so beautiful. I'm just going to wait till next week. We'll figure it out then. Okay, so, so, so how do we wear this? How do we walk in the confidence of the strength of our Savior and His great work? And I think it's simply this. We can take on every circumstance of our life because death no longer defeats us. Now, here's the thing. I say that, and if you're anything like me, you're like, I think that's true. I think that's true, right? Because any one of us goes to the doctor this week, and we find out, hey, it's, you have a condition. Hey, there, some of us will find out in the next ten years, there's nothing we can do about it. And it takes us back to these moments of what is the worst case scenario when we're staring death in the face. And a lot of us will think, what's the worst case scenario? Will I die? And that's not the biblical approach to it. Now, I'm not saying that makes it any easier. But the biblical approach is like, well, that I survive? That, that this disease actually gets defeated here and I'm stuck with these people longer? best case scenario is, Father, that I've come to the end of my race and you look at me and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. Come to the green pastures that I've prepared for you. Come to the quiet waters that I've, I've provided for you. And it dawns on me that if we can not be distracted and that we can understand our worst enemy is defeated in, in Christ Jesus. And what kind of courage should that build up in our spirits? What sort of purpose should that give us with the time we have left? I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God by. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make a couple things very clear to you today. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we long, we plead with you to get your heart right with Him. That God doesn't send Jesus begrudgingly. God sends Jesus out of His love for you. And maybe you've never asked, or maybe you have asked, but you've lived, you've drifted. We want to give you that opportunity 
to come in and, and center your heart with Him. Maybe you just need prayer this morning. We want to pray with you. We want to pray. We don't want this place to just be a group that shows up and gets yelled at by me for a couple minutes and then go home. We long for this community to build unity so that we can do incredible things for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love. And as we get to sing here in a minute, Your love that's so so very deep. And, and I confess that that word is, is not fitting enough for the depth of Your love for us. Father, I pray You would continue to help us see and to rise up in the name of Jesus to see how strong we are. How brave we can be. And I pray that Your words this morning in Hebrews has a transformational role in our lives. We love You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.